Now in Exodus chapter number 20, and we're working our way through the Ten Commandments. Last week in the fourth part of our message, the commandments of God, we looked at the seventh commandment, which was thou shalt not commit adultery. Through our study of this commandment, we saw that not only was it directed toward protecting and sanctifying the marriage covenant between a husband and wife, but that it was also on a doctrinal level addressing the unfaithfulness of God's people to him as his bride. This week, as we pick up on the Eighth Commandment, we will be looking at an issue that stems from lust, okay, which is a desire to have something more than we already possess. It is this lust for material things that can drive people to break this commandment by taking something that doesn't belong to them in order to fulfill themselves. Let's look at what God has to say about the subject of stealing as we continue in the commandments of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to come to your house. And God, I thank you for this opportunity to bring a message. Uh, Lord, you know that I have prayed and I have studied. And Lord, I have asked you to speak to me. And uh, Lord, I do ask now that, God, you would speak through me, that uh, the words that I shared be the ones that you would direct me to, that the human element of this message would be removed, and that, God, that if I could just disappear. And at the end of the day, they only remember what is heard and what, I, uh, what you've used me to speak. God, I pray, Father, that you will be glorified through the message. Lord, just speak to us. We are a needy people, and we need the truth. God, give us the truth now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so we discussed what the Ten Commandments' purpose was. They have a much larger purpose. Okay, and that purpose is this, that it works like a mirror, that God shines back to us to help reveal to us our sin. It shows us where we have fallen short, okay? It's important to recognize also that God gives the Ten Commandments because these large sin areas are ones that he knows we have a propensity to fall into. And as we worked our way through this, we're now going to get to stealing, which is commandment number eight. Exodus 20, verse 15, 15 says, thou shalt not steal. So the, steal, the dictionary defines stealing as taking another person's property without permission or legal right and without intending to return it, right? So we could simply say it is taking something that doesn't belong to us, right? Taking something that is not ours. Who's ever taken something that was not yours? Let's be honest. Every hand should go up, because I'm just telling you, we're all guilty at some level, okay? I remember my brother and I, when we were kids, we used to go trick-or-treating, right? And we'd go trick-or-treating, we'd come back, and I don't know if you guys, we would pour our candy out in a big pile. And I happen to love Reese's Cups. I mean, I love, love Reese's Cups. If you know me, man, I could, I could crush some Reese's Cups. I could eat a whole big pack. The, the best one are the pumpkins. The pumpkins, and the because they have more peanut butter. I'm just saying, anyway. It's a whole, we could, we got to preach a whole message about the pumpkin and how wonderful it is. But anyway, that's the season now. Just if you're any bit curious and you want to leave a pumpkin on my desk, I will be, you've been my best friend. But what I'm saying is when we would put our candy out and he would look away, there were a few times when I would, you know, pop over a Reese's cup over here and there and slide into my pile, right? Is that stealing? Yeah. yeah. Guess what? How about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, taking a cookie? Mom says, you know, no cookies before dinner. And what do we do? Find our way over there, take a cookie and slide them back together so it looks like there, there was nothing gone, right? So we've all been guilty of these things. But if you're having a problem maybe considering the fact that you've stolen, we're going to clarify by looking at some other areas that you may have not considered, okay? So outside of robbery or theft, there are other forms of stealing that we can be guilty of. The first one we're going to look at is how about time, being a time thief. Time theft is when an employee gets paid for time they haven't actually put into their work from fudging their timesheets to using work time for playtime, 
Whenever employees are on the clock, but they're not actually working, they're stealing time from their employer who are the ones that pay the price of that loss in, product, in productivity and in profit, right? So what is the cost of time theft? This is some estimates here. While it's hard to get a handle on the losses caused by time theft, one study estimates that in the US alone, employers lose more than $400 billion per year in lost productivity. Consider this, the average employee steals between four and a half, four hours and five minutes, about, about four hours and five minutes each week, according to the American Payroll Association. Even though this may sound shocking, it's also consistent. Robert Half did this really extensive study, the most extensive study that's ever been done, and they figured that on, on average, employers lose four and a half hours per week per employee. Now, if we think about that, how many of us are guilty of maybe stealing time from our employers? How about from our families, right? How about from our, 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 our teachers, our instructors? But ultimately, how about God, right? How many of us take time that maybe God wants us to use for him, and we use it for selfish purposes? Amazingly, time is the most valuable commodity that God blesses us with, and yet, by our own admission, we choose to squander it so many times because we think we have all kinds of Spare time. I've got time in the future. I'll worry about it later. James 4, verse 13 through 15 says this. Go to now, ye say that, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go in such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So we're planning our future. Whereas, verse 14, you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is fleeting. It says, look, it may seem like it's real, but when you reach out to touch it, it's not really what we believe it is. We believe we have so much more time. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Only God knows what our future holds. Instead of us banking on the fact that we have a future, why don't we say, you know what? God, whatever you have of my life, let me live it for you. How many of us have ever been guilty of feeling like we have no time? In your day, right? You're just like, man, I have no time. You know, I remember when we first got saved, they were like, you should come back on Wednesday nights. I'm like, dude, you have no idea. It is so hard just to get here for Sunday mornings. We got three little kids screaming, running around, bang knees, knocked out a tooth. God knows who. What? I mean, all these things going on. We're like, ah, just getting there at 11 o'clock is really, really hard. Wednesday night, you just don't understand. But guess what? If you choose to do something, God will make a way, right? You ever notice if you want to get something done, you can find a way to get it done? It's all a matter of what the priority is. So it's not necessarily the fact that we don't have time. Many times it's the fact that we're not using it wisely. Think about TV, video games on our phones or on a console, whatever it is, social media or any other thing that occupies our time. We find ourselves finding ways to do these things, but we're not investing in our relationships, we're not investing in our families, we're not investing in our spiritual growth. We're doing the work of God. We're stealing time that could be used for something much more valuable. We waste, unfortunately, a lot of time. And we all seem to think that we have plenty of time in the future. There's tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it's this mindset that we used to justify not investing in the things that are important today because we plan that we'll do it tomorrow, right? Man, when are you going to start studying your Bible? You know what? This week, this week, on Monday of this coming week, that is my day. I have set it aside on Monday. I'm going to start studying my Bible. And then that day comes and life gets in the way and the next thing you miss it. And things slip away and slip away and slip away and slip away. And we always have the intention, we're going to do it. I'm going to start eating right tomorrow, right? I know I ate three cookies today. Honey, I know that. I, I, I know I was there. I ate them. I had the crumbs on my face. I know. But tomorrow, I'm going to do better. I'm going to eat right tomorrow. There's always this mindset of tomorrow, that justification. What happens is we take for granted this thing that is so incredibly valuable that we're blessed with, which is time. 
Time is the one thing that everyone at the end of their life would pay anything to get just a little bit more of. Proof of that. In 2017, there was an article done by Atlanta Magazine on healthcare costs in America. The article stated that for the majority of people, the largest amount of all the healthcare that will ever be spent on them comes near their hour of death. Hundreds of billions of dollars each year are spent treating Americans who are in their last weeks, days, and hours of life just to give them a couple of more moments. Yet you and I are given 24 hours in a day. And a lot of the time we're given, we squander. We don't invest it like we should. Yet, and, we, and what, if, what if we lived our lives as if, as if it was purposeful and we, had, and we held ourselves accountable to God for the time that he gives us? Because remember, every moment that God gives us, it is a precious gift. In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables nor neither shadow of turning. He says, look, everything you receive is a gift from God. Every moment, every breath we receive is a gift from God. But we get to the point in time where so many times we take for granted and we almost treat it as if it's not that big a deal. You know, Do we live our lives as if it's precious or do we take it for granted? None of us know how much time we'll be given. So why don't we take the most, make the most out of every day? Let's not be a time thief to our employers or to our families, but most importantly to God. Guess what? We are ultimately accountable to him, and he has blessed us with what we have. Second thing, how about this one? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Who's ever used that expression in your life? As a kid, that was the greatest justification. You find something on the playground, you're like, boom, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, boom. Got me a new pair of sunglasses, right? And we think, right? And that's something that we're raised with, and it's a justification. We do this, and we go, you know, as long as nobody sees it, it's okay. As long as nobody else sees it, it's okay. But guess what? That subject, that mindset is so wrong. Look what it says here in Leviticus 6, verses 1 through 3. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin, okay, say, look, if somebody's doing wrong, and commit a trespass against the Lord, notice that, commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in a fellowship, or in things taken, uh, taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or hath found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein. Take notice of what God said, committing a trespass against the Lord, right? So if we choose to take possession of something that is not ours, we are in fact stealing and we are in fact trespassing against the Lord. Just because nobody saw it does not mean that it was not clearly seen. Because I can guarantee you it was seen. It does not matter if anybody was there to see it or not. It was absolutely clearly seen. We've all heard that God sees everything. And that's true. Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. There is no excuse for keeping something that we, do, that we know is not ours. Consider, you know, I... Because we go, well, you know, I don't know who to turn it into, whatever. There's virtually every organization you're going to find, we have one, a lost and found. You find something that's not yours, you're at the YMCA, you turn it in. If there's not, if there's not a lost and found in the organization, take it to the police. Because guess what? The person who's lost it is going to look for it. And by us keeping it, we are stealing from them. We know it's not ours. And it's a matter of us having Christian character. Character means that you do the right thing no matter who's there to see it. When you do it because someone sees it, that's not character. That's a choice. But when we do it because we feel convicted of God, that is character. Notice, take notice of that opening phrase where he says that, commit a trespass against 
the Lord, committing a trespass against the Lord. Philippians, uh, for the glory of God, we have, we have to change our mindset, right? We've been taught that thing. We think about that, you know, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And even as adults, we had that in our heads. I still remember it. So things, you remember things you heard as a kid and you just never let them go? When I was little, we grew up in Alaska. We used to have this thing at, at McDonald's. And if you could say, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. You go, we get 25 cents, right? So we were kids. We memorized that thing. And man, I still remember it today. And there are times when I might see something and go, Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And I have a justification in my mind that I was trained as a kid, and we've got to change the way we think and go, you know what? Mm -mm. I'm not going to do that. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory for selfishness, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See, we were not created to be selfish, but it's our nature. We were created to be selfless. We're supposed to be givers and not takers. But a majority of us are always looking for a way we can get over on somebody else, looking for a way that we can take a shortcut. What about embezzlement? Embezzlement, right? If you don't know what embezzlement is, this form of stealing is a violation of trust. For what has been placed in a person's keeping, we've been given something to hold on to, has been taken for their own selfish purposes. Normally, we think about this in an organization or a business of some nature like that, but that's not always the case. But listen to this. According to the Hissex Research Group, most cases of embezzlement occur in small companies, less than 100 employees. These are companies that are kind of struggling, trying to get off the ground. In 2017, nearly one quarter of employee thefts reported involved larger scale losses of over a million dollars. High loss cases often result from schemes that repeatedly steal small sums of money over time, and it's very, very difficult to track. Embezzlement, guys, that's a federal crime. Right? That is federal crime. I'm talking about massive, massive penalties in regards to paying the money back, but also up to 10, 10, 10 to 20 years in prison. Most of us may think that, you know what, that doesn't apply to me. I don't work for a company. I'm not in the bookkeeper, da, 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 da. But what about when you have a friend of yours and they say, well, what would I owe you? And it was $4.75. And you go, just five bucks. And they go, oh, okay. Isn't that embezzlement? Aren't you in Aren't they right? You're, you're inflating things for your own purposes. You're stealing 25 cents from your friend. You're like, what's not a big deal? What's a big deal? But understand, God knows all these things. And guess what? Things build up over time. You're taking a little bit here and a little bit there, and you become accustomed to that, and that's just kind of the way you function. According to, what, according to that same study, 29% of employee theft persisted for more than five years. Nobody caught them. The average loss for that case that went over five years is $2.2 million in theft. They said, and then there's some that would average up to 10 years. And over a 10-year period, they average out to $5.4 million in theft in little bits here and there. And if we look at our lives and we consider how many little things we've taken, and God's keeping account, he knows all those things, how some of us are pretty, pretty successful thieves. We might be embezzlers to people that we even care about. Though the amount stolen may vary, the accountability is still the same. In Leviticus 6.2, remember it said, if a soul sin, meaning it's doing wrong, and commit a trespass against the Lord, and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, he's been entrusted. What Leviticus is teaching us is that our accountability, you know what we need to be worried about, is not necessarily worried about the people. It should be the fact that we worry of the fact that we are trespassing against God. He's the one that has to be the concern here. And the fact that everything we do, God sees it. And he knows our heart. And we consciously know that what we're doing is wrong. And we still choose to do it. And we justify it through whatever it is. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, whatever it is. It's wrong. 
It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. God is trying to help us to be righteous. He wants us to live a life that is honorable to Him. He wants us to receive that abundant life that He has in store for us. But we're constantly muddying the waters, muddying the waters with these little justifications. It's not a big deal. I know I didn't ask if I could get a piece of gum out of it, but I mean, he's my friend. He's not going to care. I'll just take a stick of gum. He won't care. If I asked him, I'm sure he'd say, okay. But that's still theft. We, didn't, we know it's not ours, and we still choose to take it. Colossians 3, 23 through 25 says this, And whatsoever you do, this is talking about accountability, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong, and he that hath, for which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God says, I don't care who you are, what your title is, or who you think you are. It does not matter because wrong is wrong and right is right. And my expectation for you is that you would live a righteous life. Now, God knows we're not perfect, right? But guess what? If our heart were constantly, and let's say we do do wrong, but then we go and make it right. You take something that's not yours, and you know what? God conviction. You go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I can't do this. I don't know if anybody's ever done this. You go to a store, right, and they, and they put something in your bag they didn't charge you for. And you leave, and you're like, dude, right on. So we have free stuff. Cha-ching, right? Which is the mindset we had in the past, right? That old man. That's my old man, dude. I'm telling you, if you'd done that before I was saved, I'd just be like, cha-cha-cha-cha. Yeah, baby. Rocking on, man. I'd be all about it, right? But after getting saved, guess what happened? You know? I mean, I'm telling you, man. I, that happened to me. And I was like, somebody put something in my bag, and I, I came back, and I'm checking my receipt, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And it was like, it's like $2. But I was so convicted. I, was, I had to get in the car and drive back. And I was like, look, I, you didn't charge me for this. I want to make sure I pay for it. And the girl at the register was like, what? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, well, all right. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, well, it is to me. Make sure I pay for it. Right? And that's the thing is accountability. Right? Accountability. You find something on the ground. Man, <laughs> try to find somebody. Give it back to whoever's it is. Another one. Extortion. That's a really awful sounding word, extortion. Right? But think about this. Extortion, this is what it means. Extortion is gaining possession of someone's el- someone else's property by the use of one's authority or force. Not using a weapon, just based upon who you are in their life, right? Think about it like this way. Let's say a drug company, right? They produce a drug, and they know that this drug is, is, is super, super important. Let's say they could save your child's life, and instead of charging you what they paid for it or what it would cost, they bump up the price a little bit. Because they know to save your child's life, you would pay whatever money you had to pay. That's extortion. They're forcing it. Because of their position, they're taking money. Think about law enforcement around the world. You drive around the world, man, and there's, there's law enforcement. Man, they'll stop. And we were in Malawi. <laughs> we, got, so we, were, we were driving. And they don't have any kind of rhyme or reason. They're just these cops just standing on the road. And you're people driving by, drive by, and all of a sudden they're like. They start walking around looking at the car. They're like, blah, 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 whatever, they're speaking Chichewa, you know, I mean, we're just sitting in the car listening, and they're like, blah, 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 and they walk around, and then our driver gets out, and one of the pastors, he gets out, and he's talking to him, and he's like, comes back, he gets in, he's like, what's going on? He's like, they it just, I just had to pay him some money, so we can just go on, go on and go on our way, and I was like, what was wrong? He's like, I, I just, really, I don't know if they just wanted money, pretty much, and so, they, and so they end up having to pay him this thing, they don't write him a ticket, they don't have that, it's just really handing them cash, and then you get to drive on. And it's a matter of extortion. That's exactly what it is. Look at what John the Baptist says to the taxpayers and the tax collectors and the soldiers in Luke 3. Luke 3, 12 through 14. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? They're saying, he's saying they're basically, what should our behavior be? Listen to what he says in verse 13. And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Do not use your influence to take more money than you deserve. 14, the soldiers. And he says, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, and what shall we do? 
And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely. Don't get people, you know, don't try to trick them. And be content with your wages. He says, be honest. Don't use your position of authority. If we use our authority or position for personal gain, we are stealing what is not rightfully ours. We think about being an upperclassman, right? You're older than the kids before you. You're a, you're a junior and they're a sophomore or a freshman. And we, hey, give me that bag of, bag of, give me that bag of chips. But, 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 give, give me the bag of chips. <sighs> Here, right? Anybody experience that when you're in school? Really? Man, I went to a bad school. I got that happening all the time. <laughs> I'm constantly losing my stuff. I'm like, well, let me just take the sandwich out and slide it across the table to you. Um, but unfortunately, that's something that happens. People use that position, right? So we can see that stealing is not just limited to robbery, shoplifting, or traditional theft. It is when we possess something that is not ours to manipulation, dishonesty, or force. Look at what Proverbs 30 says about stealing. Proverbs 30, verse 9, it says, Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. So when we are stealing, we are blaspheming the Lord's name. Unfortunately, stealing is celebrated in our culture. We can watch movies or TV shows where these people that rob and steal and set up these bank heists and stuff like that, and they're the heroes of the movie. We're like, man, go do it. Yeah, yeah, teach that bank a lesson, right? It's amazing. You're like the magicians that steal all the money. and all there's, it's, it's, In our culture, it's celebrated throughout. It's the same acceptance of what the Bible clearly says is sin that allows this attitude to persist because the culture becomes accepting of it. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem so wrong to us. Listen to Romans 1, verses 28 through 32. This is talking about how sin is getting accepted into our culture. It says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Listen to this, and this is talking about the people in the culture. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. He's just making a long list of all the sins. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, they know it's wrong, and they which commit such things are worthy of death. They know these are sins that are, separate them from God. Not only do the same, not only do they partake in it themselves, but let's check this out, but have pleasure in them that do them. So not only are they willing to sin with the culture, but they're willing to celebrate the sin within the culture. And that's unfortunately where we are today. Now, where did this all start? If we look at it, where did it all start? Where's the very first stealing? The very first instant of theft of steal or stealing took place in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, And the Lord took, and the Lord God took the men, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden and dressed it to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou shalt eat, eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here we see that Adam is given access to all the trees, every single tree you could possibly imagine. But there was one tree that was God's tree. That was not for him. Would Adam steal from God? We already know the answer. Let's look at that first theft in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree, of the gar but the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, 
lest ye die. God did not command them not to touch it. He said not to eat it. She added that in. I think that probably at the time Adam first told her that, he was like, hey, don't eat it. Don't go near it. Don't touch it. Let's just stay away from that tree, right? And it says, and the serpent said to her, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. Notice that, my, that Adam was standing right there. It doesn't sound like he had, she had to go track him down. It says, and her husband that was with her. He did not stop her. The fault lies on him as well as her. And he did eat. Last, last week, we looked at the concept of sowing and reaping. We looked at sowing into our flesh. We sow into our flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow into our spirit, we reap life everlasting. In sowing to our flesh, we will fall prey to the three weaknesses of our flesh, which are defined in 1 John 2.16. Look at this. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It is of the flesh. Now let's apply that to verse 6, right? We look at verse 6 and it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband, and he did eat. Just like any other sin, guess what? It comes down to choice. Just like every other sin, guess what? There are also consequences to sin. That's always the case. It may be pleasurable for a season, but there are always those consequences. Adam received these consequences in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And it says, Unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shall they eat of it all the days of, my, of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth. He says, look, I was going to provide for you a perfect garden. All the fruit, all the, everything you possibly could need would have been provided for you perfectly. But now because of the choice that you've made, not only are you going to have to work into this ground, but bottom line, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be constant things that are trying to stop you. And he says, and it says, and it bring forth thee and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust, thou shalt, thou, uh, unto, unto, unto dust shalt thou return. That was it. But what happens, he says, look, where you were not going to have to work before and I was going to make provision for you, now by the sweat of your brow you are going to work from this day forward just to stay alive. And one day you're going to die. That was not the plan for you, but because of your choice, that's the consequences. We can see the punishment for their theft was that Adam was going to have to work to feed his family and feed himself instead of having God provide for him. Stealing is nothing more than humanity trying to avoid the penalty of sin, which is work, by trying to steal what someone else has rightfully worked for. It's trying to take a shortcut and trying to subvert what God put in place to help us to become accountable to him. Paul reiterates this in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, Neither should he eat. He's saying, look, this work, this thing is something God designed into you. If you're not willing to work, you should not eat. You do not steal. Stealing is an affront to the person being stolen from, but much more it is an affront to God who established this truth. Will we honor God and his word or will we be simply focusing on saving or, or, or pleasing ourselves? It is this very selfishness of humanity that draws us to want to take the easy route and steal something that someone else has worked for. 
If we will embrace the role the Lord has for us, it will be, it will be, um, be, ble- it will be blessing. He will, be a- he will bless our work through provision of our needs. But guess what? He'll also bless our faithfulness. That's one thing. God looks for that faithfulness within us. As the Lord gives, us, gives to us and we give back to his work, guess what? The things that he's doing on the earth, we're now, when we give, we're giving to the things of God. He will experience that abundant life. God wants to bless us. He wants to work in our lives, but he also wants us to be a part of what it is he's doing. But it comes down to choices. What you have in this world came from him. We think about what tithing is. I and mean, when I got saved, I'd never heard of the term tithing. Like I said, I'd never been in church my entire life. To tithe means to take 10% of what God provides to you and give it back to the work of God. Right? And we see it again and again and again in the scriptures. And what happens is when I first heard that, Anne Marie, my, my sister-in-law, she was the one that was instrumental in us getting saved. When we got saved and I heard, and, and my wife said, well, she, you know, she gives 10% of what she makes to the church. And I was like, I didn't realize it was a biblical principle that God commands. But what happened was I didn't understand it. But after we got saved, I was like, man, how could I not give back to God? If he gives me 100% of what I have and he's going to let me keep 90 and all he does is ask for 10% back and he's going to use that to reach other people and bless me for giving it whenever it's not even mine to own in the first place. He gives me everything. So why not have that mindset of like, I want to be a giver. I want to be a giver. Look at Malachi 3 verses 8 through 10. He says, will a man rob God? Listen, we talk about stealing. Yet ye have robbed me. This is God saying, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now where he reth. He says, look, prove me, show me, go ahead and give, and let me show you how I'll take care of you. And saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and that there, may, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says, look, I want to bless you. Don't give me reasons to not bless you. Be obedient. Do in everything that you do. Do it with the heart to bless. Being able to give back to someone who has given us so much is a privilege. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7 says this, But this I say, he, that, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as, purpose, as he has purposed in his heart, notice this, in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, right? When we give our time, we should be a cheerful giver, man. We give our life, we give our time because we want to, because we love God. When we pay our tithes, we do it because we love God. We want to say, Lord, here's another way for me to show you that I love you. When I talk to somebody, when I share the word, when I spend time in the word and I set aside that time, I'm saying, God, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. God deserves our very best in our service, our time, our attention, and our giving, right? He absolutely deserves our best. We have been given so much. And because we're selfish, we just want more. Don't we? Nothing's ever enough, right? We get a new car. Within two or three years, I need a new car. That car's not even broken. There's nothing wrong with it. It's got some dust and some dings and dents, but we just something else, right? You get clothes, man. And then somebody else gets something that looks a little bit nicer. You're like, you know what? I mean, that jacket was good, but... No, that jacket's just not, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't have the little, I like how that button is on that jacket. That's a better, that's a better button. What if I could trade this in or, or like, you know, you know, there's people that like will wear clothes like a whole year, then take it and return it to the store. I don't know how you do that, but they do. That's a, there's a, I heard about they do that in whatever, in, in retail. But it's amazing how we're constantly never satisfied. We always want just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And God says, look, I will meet your needs. And what's beautiful is the fact, not only does God meet our needs, but so many times he meets our wants. Who's ever received more than you deserve? Oh, man, every single day. God's desire is to bless us and to give us more. And what happens, because we're so selfish, we're constantly looking at, it's not enough. 
It's just not enough. It's just not enough. And it's that sense that draws us to be willing to steal. It's that sense of, you know what, I have a lust. A lust means you have, it's a desire for something that you do not possess. That's where envy comes from, right? It's the thing that pushes us to maybe skate the edge of what's right and what's wrong. In order to do this, we have to go against our selfish nature, which wants to take and instead choose to give. That's what God intends for us. Acts 20, verse 33, Acts 20, 35 says this. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of us on Christmas morning, when you were a child, right, you saved up money or you made something special for your mom, and on that Christmas, when you had something special to give, and you're so excited. Aren't you like, Mom, open this first. Open this first. Open this first. Mom, open this first. You cannot wait to see her open that present. For me, it was, a, it was called a La Machine. It was a, uh, I'm old. This thing doesn't exist. It hasn't existed for probably 30, well, 40, 40 some years. It used to be a food processor. And my mom, we didn't have a food processor. We had nothing like it. And I saved up money, and I bought a La Machine. I used to deliver newspapers. And I delivered newspapers, and I saved the money. I bought that thing, and dude, I bought it for like, two or three weeks ahead of Christmas. I want to give it to her every single day on the way to Christmas. I was like, I just want to give it to her now. But I wrapped that thing up. And man, Sunday, Sunday morning, Christmas morning came, and I could not wait to see her open that present. And I sat there just with such expectation. When she opened it up, and she was just like, ah. and I had raised, I, I, I earned the money myself, wrapped it myself, did the whole thing. And just to see her reaction to it. And man, that to me was the most wonderful Christmas. And I remember that of all the stuff I received as a kid, I lost sight of all that, but seeing her face and giving it to her and knowing my heart behind it was, you know what, I love you. I give it to you because I love you, not because she told me to, not because of any other reason. And that's the thing, when it comes to giving to God, he says, look, you know, it's so much more blessed to give than to receive. And the problem is that we constantly spend our whole life trying to receive. We're constantly trying to find a way to get more, get more, get more, get more. And it never satisfied. It just becomes old. And it just waxes old, and it rusts, and it corrupts. And then we got to get something else and get something else. But if we'll learn to switch our thinking, instead of trying to find ways to get over on people and take things, what if we spend our time and energy trying to give? What if you found ways to go, you know what, how can I bless somebody? How can I be a, a work in their life? How can I give back to the work of God? I'm telling you, one of the greatest joys in our life is the fact when if a, a check comes in, a man to go, the first thing he goes like, you know, all right, amen. Look at the tithe on that. Awesome. Praise God. It's exciting, man. An option to give to a missionary who's somewhere around the world, around the world who's risking everything and put everything in their life. They sold all of their, all their belongings, and they've shipped themselves to a foreign country, and they're living in, in many times very, very tough situations. And we can send money to them and help them, and then they'll turn around and take it and invest in the lives of those people. I mean, how amazing is that? And the cool thing is that God keeps account of all of it. In heaven, God's going, look, look at what you've done. When we get to heaven one day, and if we've invested in missions, there are going to be people that are going to walk up to us and thank us in heaven. We never met them. We don't have anything about them. But because we sent resources over there, and they were able to be reached, they're going to walk up and go, thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. It's an opportunity that God gives us every single day. And the mindset of stealing is something that we all have. That's why it's in the Ten Commandments, because God knows we have a propensity to do it. So let's be careful not to fall prey to that selfishness and have that sense of selflessness. When we do, we will honor the Lord. And guess what? We'll be following the commandments of God.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today, and I thank you, God, for the opportunity, Father, to talk about a subject, uh, Lord, that uh, has infiltrated all of our lives at some point in time. And Lord, as Christians, it should not be said of us that we are thieves. It should not be said of us that we would steal, that we would take something that's not ours. God, help us not to be in the mindset of looking what we can gain, but Lord, help us to be in the mindset of thinking about how we can give. How can we impact the life of somebody else? It doesn't necessarily have to be finances. Lord, it can be in time. It can be an investment of our emotions, being willing to help someone else bear a burden, being there for them in a time of need, investing knowledge, God, where you've taught and trained us in something, sharing our experiences, God, our knowledge of the word of God, investing in others. God, there is such a rich and beautiful reward for investing in others. And yet so many times we get caught up in our selfishness and we think about what about me? What about me? Every sin is linked to pride, every single one. And it's all about lifting oneself. But the Bible says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And we think about the fall of man and we follow back to the pride in Genesis 3 and we look at that first theft it all leads back to the same thing. What about me? What about me? I want more than I have. Help us, Lord, to be content with what you've blessed us with. Help us, Lord, to be an image of Christ and the fact that we invest in others, that we give. And Lord, we give not begrudgingly, but Lord, we give out of love. We give out of a desire, Father, that you might be honored and glorified. Help it not to be called of us that we would be thieves. Lord, help us to be those that would invest in the lives of others. Help us to be careful of the life we live and the testimony that we speak to the world. Help us, God, to constantly be a bright light for the cause of Christ. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Hay, I appreciate the fact that I know I'm not supposed to steal and you know I'm sorry for what I've done, but ultimately I don't know that I have the accountability with God that maybe I need to. Guys, there was this time in my life, like I said, 18 years ago, I was not saved. I could do things like that. I could steal. I could take things that were not mine. I did not necessarily feel that bad about it. I could justify it away. But as a Christian, there's something different in our hearts. There's a Holy Spirit of God. And when I do something wrong, the Holy Spirit of God that lives within me, the Bible says that I am the temple of God. We are the temple of God. That indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within you is God. And when I do something that's wrong, that spirit will well up inside me. And the Bible says it will chasten me. It will make me feel that I must make things right. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't have that in me. If you're online and you say, look, if I take something, I might feel bad about it, but it goes away. But let me tell you, if you're a child of God, you cannot rest until you make things right. And it is a beautiful thing because all God's trying to do is not punish you. He's trying to restore you back to what you're supposed to be, which is a giver, not a taker. So if you're here today and you say, I've never received Christ as my Savior. I don't know what it means to be saved. Guys, it's nothing magical. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing, nothing like that. It's nothing more than a heart that says, look, I know I don't have a relationship with God. I want it, though. I know of God. I've got plenty of mental understanding. I've got religious understanding. I've got experiential understanding of who God is. I've read the Bible. I pray all the time. Man, I all about it. But you cannot go back to a moment in time where the Bible says you must be born again. That means you were born once of the water, Jesus says, but then you must be born of the Spirit. Your birth was so specific and so dramatic when you went from the inside of your mother to the outside that they gave you a birth certificate marking the moment and the day. There was a specific moment when you went from one to another. Salvation is exactly the same thing. You go from spiritually lost to spiritually saved through a choice and a decision. It does not happen to us. It's not something that, that, is, that is done through a ceremony. Like I said before, it is something that we choose. 
And when we make that decision to receive Christ, boom, we go from being a lost person who may be religious to a person who has a relationship with God. And that relationship, once established, can never be lost. If you're here today and you have never received Christ, you can't look back to a moment in time in your life when you say, you know what? this was my day. This was my day. I know when I chose him. If you can't look back to that time, there's a chance you may not know him. But I'm going to give you an opportunity today. No matter where you are, overflow, online, in the service. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And this is an opportunity to talk to God specifically. Not about ceremony, as I said. It's a matter of your heart with his. He's reaching out to you as we speak. And with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, pray in your heart and your mind. Talk to God. Because I'm telling you, he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If in our heart of hearts we want to receive Christ, he will receive us right where we are. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. It's not the words, but it's your heart God's listening to. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I know that I'm accountable for each thing, but I also understand that Jesus came and paid the price for every one of my sins. And I'm asking you right now to apply that blood from the cross to my sin debt. By faith, I'm asking you to come into my heart, to cleanse me, to wash me, and to save me. I believe that you have the power to save my soul, that you rose on the third day and proved you were God. And I'm asking you right now to save my soul. Give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for loving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.